Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Eyes to the Left. Welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Daily Mirror's post-Prime Minister's Questions podcast. Taken the temperature of the political week and what a week it has been. I'm joined by Nicola Bartlett and Mikey Smith and I'm Kevin Maguire in the chair. Normally it's uh, Jason Beattie, Stalin, but he's off this week. He'll be back next week. You'll have to put up with us now. Well, Nicola, start you. Promise us questions. Whew, universal credit again. Yeah, well, it was a bit of a, a, a risk uh, coming up with the universal credit from Corbyn for the third week running doesn't want to be seen as a kind of one-trick pony. But actually, it seemed that he was really onto a good thing. He'd already uh, occasioned a U-turn from the government uh, last week on the uh, the helpline, which charges people 55p a minute. Um, and he was pressing ahead with, uh, with the backing of, you know, not just the Labour Party, not just some Tory backbenchers, but even... Ian Duncan Smith, the architect of this whole scheme, has been calling for the wait time of six weeks uh, minimum to be reduced to at least a month. So he really did have kind of the full force of support behind him, and he he looked looked like he was doing amazingly well. He was he was doing the the old tricks that people used to do at PMQs, <laughs> you know, using the other side's um, words against them. Uh, it, it, it's almost like he's been studying. And, uh, and and practicing and has got a lot better at it. And I mean that that final flourish where he uh, declared the government weak, incompetent, divided. I, I'm amazed people weren't on their feet cheering at that point. It was uh, it was it was a, a strong performance. I thought. And there's been two two successive U-turns by by May. 55p phone line gone. She's U-turned now on supported housing benefit. I mean, this is incredible, isn't it? It's a government just doesn't know which way to turn. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that, that's another thing Corbyn said, was that the, the government doesn't know whether it's coming or going. And obviously, you know, some cheeky MP ch- cheeky MPs behind him started shouting, going, going. <laughs> this government doesn't really know whether it's coming or going. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's not a good look. Nick, I do get. I mean, if you if you were a Tory spin doctor, you were in number ten. You'd be saying to me, "You've got to sort out that six week mm. delay on universal credit." It would mean if you claim now, you wouldn't get your money until well into December. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a crazy. Why why doesn't she do it? Because she's on the rack over this issue. I'm. I mean, honestly, I'm not really sure. I mean, especially as Labour MPs keep pointing out to her, the next set of rollouts is the 13th of December, which which is Christmas time, pretty much. You are going to have people who are stuck without money over Christmas, which, aside from being intolerably cruel, is just really bad headlines. The Prime Minister. I know she doesn't want to to be seen to be, um, you know, weak and wobbly and all those other um, bit insults. For that. But, you know, at this point, it seems like the writing's on the wall when it comes to universal credit. Um, and they keep 
relying on this uh, th- this argument that, that that it's getting more people into work. But even her own statistics don't really make sense. I think she said that eight percent of people who expected to have had uh, universal credit so far, and I think it was twenty percent of those were satisfied. Well, actually, that's not that's not really a very good statistic um, when it comes down to it. And I think even you know relying on that looks looks terrible for her. No, I mean the the only thing I can think of that might explain the delay is that if she rolls back on it now, it looks like a victory for Labour. And if she say waits till maybe the day before the budget to do it, then it'll get lost. I could, I could see that, but it's a it's a world of pain until then yeah. when you have. Tory MPs, people on your own side who want universal credit work. I, I don't know, it's not wrong in principle, rolling benefits uh, together, but the cuts and the delays make it indefensible. If you're going to do it, why not just ex- execute that change? I, I, I genuinely don't know. It, it's, it's, it's almost like she hopes that it's going to fizzle out and go away. And with Jeremy Corbyn bringing it up week after week at PMQs, it's just not. Uh, Prime Minister's questions is, is gladiatorial. Who do you think left the Colosseum the happier? <laughs> I think without a doubt Jeremy did. You know, he, 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 he managed to rile the other side up so much the Speaker had to intervene a number of times. Um, I, I, again, he, he, I think there was a, a bit of a flub where, where Burko said, uh, you know, the, the Prime Minister must be heard, and someone in the back shouted, That's you, Jeremy! Um, and yeah, no, the, it was an almost faultless performance. Um, again, Burko being John Burko, the speaker. A bit of respect, please, uh, Mikey. <laughs> and how did you mark it, Nicola? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he was uh, Corbyn was on on the front foot, May was on the back foot yet again. Um, he's he's got quicker. He's um, coming up with examples. May keeps going back to things that that Labour did in government. She, you know, she was referring to the the rollout of working tax credits and the problems with that. Corbyn comes straight back uh, and and you know says, well, the reason we have we have to do things like that is because. Um, you know the Tories leave people in in dire straits every time, and he's he's not missing a beat anymore. He's not dithering. He's um, yeah. He's he seems completely happy in that role now. Now, Prime Minister's questions matters because it's probably the only bit of Parliament people watch on yeah. TV, and they yeah. do watch MPs tell you how people voters see them on the telly. We know it matters hugely in Westminster to, to your team, you know, your team captain, whether you raise their morale or lower it. I, I score it to Corbyn again. It's three in a row, which must be the first time in his leadership. Mm. How much is it, Nicola, down to him getting better and her getting worse? Well, I, you know, I think the two are connected, really, because every time he does better, she seems to sort of just sag a little bit more in her seat, and she... She came into her role as Prime Minister with Corbyn really not very good in, at, at PMQs at all. don't think he liked it. He's not used to that kind of back and forth. You know, they always refer to it being like the Oxford Union debating club. He does a different kind of politics, politics of kind of rallies and, um, you know, talking to, to crowds and things like that. But he he's really... You know, since he came back from that better than expected election result, obviously, you know, Labour have finally realised, I think, that they didn't win. Um, he seems to be really buoyant and he's just kind of feeding on her lack of energy, I think. And, um, yeah, I think the, the two are kind of 
it's it's a bit of an interesting dynamic relationship between them. Yeah, and I think I mean I I, I never thought that Theresa May was particularly good at PMQs anyway, but she looked better because Corbyn wasn't. And I mean it's it it's it's often said that um, one of the reasons Tony Blair was so good at PMQs was that he uh, got a bit of coaching from Dennis Skinner. Um, I'm wondering if someone's been doing that job for for Jeremy. I I I certainly think someone did that uh, in the run up to the election because um, it was like night and day. Um, and, and I'm wondering if someone's coaching him and someone's giving him really good advice on yeah. on how to deal with it every week. Yeah, Skinner, the beast of balls, did give advice to uh, to Blair. He also gave it to Ed Miliband. I remember there was once once an Ed Miliband performance on the NHS. Everyone thought, where's that come from? Skinner had been in to tell him how to mm. how to dissect the uh, the Tories, get your questions in a row, where to look, how to do it. The the lot. I'm going to have to check now to see if he's been in to see uh, his old mate, uh, his, old, his old mate Jezza. But if you look at it all, you know, I just think anyway, she's been found out, hasn't she, May? It's almost as if it's the end of the Wizard of Oz and they pulled the curtain back and said, a great big fearsome wizard, there's a little wizened, frightened, trembling figure. And it is now Mrs. Mrs. Mayhem who's on her way out. But, uh, but a bit of uh, fancy footwork before PMQs, Mikey, by Labour uh, with Gerald Amara. Yeah, in 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 the uh, in, I think it must have been about fifteen twenty minutes before PMQ yes. started. Yeah. It was announced that uh, he was being suspended pending an investigation into some fairly fruity things he said on the internet when he was uh, a younger man and uh, an alleged incident um, earlier this year before the election. Um, uh, which, which I, I won't repeat the language because uh, it'll probably uh, get us a, uh, an explicit rating on podcast. Yeah, but, I think it was uh, an ugly pitch, wasn't it? But it was, uh, there was a B there rather than a P. <laughs> I mean, no, it was pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Allegedly to a former um, somebody he dated briefly, Nicola. Uh, yeah, somebody he stepped out with. Did you did you think it was a Worth a suspension because you could see he's the Sheffield Hallam MP, of course. For those who don't know, he's not—he wasn't a household name. He is now for the wrong reasons. Been a household name in Nick Clegg. There he is. He's struggling. You could explain the terrible, sexist, uh, misogynist, uh, horrible, uh, homophobic stuff earlier. He was a young man, been on a journey. If he's been on that journey, he doesn't seem to have gone very far down down the road. Do you think it should have, he should have been suspended? Was that the right move? Well, I think I think it comes to a point with these. Um, Cases where the clamour is so strong that it's really hard for a party to resist. And he had some really, you know, three high-profile female uh, MPs um, were calling for him to be suspended. So that's um, Lucy Powell, Jess Phillips, and I think Lisa Landy as well. Um, And I think it's sort of a sign that Labour's maybe getting better at dealing with these kind of issues um, because when MPs have been accused of things in the past they've kind of dithered for a long time and that just allows the issue to gain more and more traction in the press um, You know, especially when these surfaced on the right wing blog Guido Fawkes who obviously has another agenda I imagine he's got a few more of these old blog posts that Jared posted Previously, I think it was between 2002, 2004, the ones that he's um, he's admitted to. Um, and that just creates a kind of drip, drip. And so by the end of it, someone's reputation is completely in tatters. And in a way, I think Labour's kind of nipped that in the bud slightly. So it's put on hold 
while it's being investigated and we can see what you know what the outcome will be of that investigation he, he vehemently denies calling the the woman who worked in the bar uh, what she says she's she's called him is this a problem now on who do you believe and if a labor inquiry finds for her he's mm. in a very difficult position no, he absolutely denies it but not only would it have been ugly language last march the actual allegations surfaced in June. They've kind of been revived. Yeah. But as the allegations themselves, then if they find against you and you've denied it, then I'm afraid they're, they're effectively saying you've lied. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think a big problem with this is that a lot of these uh, allegations, particularly, as you say, the one, the one in March this year, these allegations have been going around for a while. Now, a, a, a Labour spokesman said earlier today that, you know, that the party hadn't been made aware of them before Monday. Mm. So, which I, you've I mean, got to we, ask the question: it, You know, was someone hoping that Guido Fawkes wouldn't find it? Yeah. <laughs> which, which is yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've read the account. There's a there's a blog post um, detail. It's a f- I believe it's a friend of the alleged victim has written a blog post, which I've read, um, mm. which has been up for for a few months now. Mm. Um, I think there's two there's two issues here really. When anyone becomes a candidate for the Labour Party, as Lucy Powell pointed out, they sign a declaration to say that they've not done anything that's going to bring the party into disrepute. Now, if it is the case that he's then found to have done this, he's lied to the party. And the other issue is this is resurfacing at a time when we've had all the Harvey Weinstein allegations and all the rest of it. Um, with the backdrop of, of that... If the party then believes him over the alleged female victim, that doesn't look particularly good either. So it's, it is a really difficult situation. I mean, it's, it, it's got to be said that the way the um, the, the the chaps at Guido Fawkes rolled it out was uh, was almost clinical in its precision. Mm. You know, they they dripped it out over the course of several hours. So you know, a, a bunch of allegations would come out, and then he'd drop an apology for them. And then they drop whose hidden hand was behind that? Eh? Well, it, it's it all was, fair was, in love and war and politics. It's it, got to be it, said. It was an open goal. One of the sensitive issues that kept coming up with MPs in Westminster um, was he has cerebral palsy, mm. and they seemed to be far more sympathy for him because of of that. It's very hard to discuss it publicly. A lot of people with cerebral palsy will be saying, "I've never said anything like that." Do you think that earned him a bit of? A bit of leeway, and he wasn't suspended earlier. And it was, as, as you say, Nicola. It was only after three very prominent Labour women MPs came out, said he needed to be suspended, that he was suspended, and Corbyn dodged a problem at uh, a Prime Minister's questions by doing it. You could be right, but I mean, I've, 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 I've sort of been aware of of Jared. For, I'm from Sheffield. I'm from where he's from. I used to go into his pub quite a lot. I actually didn't know he had cerebral palsy uh, until he became an MP. Um, and I think, sort of, to to his credit, he didn't make a big deal out of it, um, really, when he started. Um, but I think the other side of that is that that when 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 things started showing up, other people didn't really make a big deal out of it when they started attacking him. Yeah, a Tory who suffered in a different way is uh, Chris Chris, sorry, uh, Heaton Harris, the <laughs> government whip who wrote to universities uh, asking uh, who was teaching uh, Brexit. I mean, he is a, he is a Brextremist, uh, mm. I mean, a kind of, uh, you know, a bit of a swivel-eyed uh, guy <laughs> on, the, uh, on the issue. He clearly wasn't doing it for just uh, pure academic research. He, mm. 
you know he would do something. He's been disowned by, by Downing Street. He's been owned, disowned by Joe Johnson, the university's <laughs> minister in the end, the, the, you know, the reasonable one in the Johnson uh, <laughs> duo over there who uh, said it was probably not the right thing to do that uh, letter. Do you, do you think he suffered any damage or was the reaction from universities calling him McCarthyite, Leninist and so on? Do you think that was a bit over the top too? I don't think it was over, to- over the top at all. I thought the letter was super, super creepy. Um, it, it's, I mean, he's a government whip. He's got a government job. I mean, yeah. num- Number 10 was saying that he was acting in his capacity as an MP when he was sending those letters. I mean, I'm not sure particularly what writing to every... Um, Vice Chancellor has to do with his local uh, constituents, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but you know, normally when someone starts freelancing, uh, they have to resign from the government, and there's been none, no no sign of that. It, it, it's it's weird, especially if you're a whip and yeah. you're the one who's normally meant to be imposing uh, yeah. discipline. imposing discipline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as well, it comes you know in the context of. Universities aren't particularly happy with this government. They've seen their budgets cut, mm. and most of them are livid about Brexit because um, they're seeing, you know, they're not only seeing talent leave from really good um, professors, but they're seeing all that money in grants that the EU provides. Yes, the government said that they would um, they would provide it themselves, but already the tendering processes for that for those grants are coming up and they're not getting the money that they need so I think I don't think um, it's too strong a reaction necessarily but I do think it's probably also fueled by their feelings towards a particularly strong Brexiteer and, and then a couple of I, th- I think it was eight days after he sent the letters uh, Joe Johnson uh, gets up and does his big thing about you know protecting free speech <laughs> At university, saying there's no safe spaces, you got to be uh, prepared for robust debate, and free speech must be protected on 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 pain of, you know, action. Yeah. It, it it just seemed like it was uh, was 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 particularly bad timing. With the Brexit streamers like Chris uh, Heaton Harris, I think you're free to speak what he says. <laughs> and that's it. Anyway, uh, and Brexit subject that will be with us all the way because it is uh, so important. I mean, I loved. Uh, Michael Bloomberg coming over and saying it was the stupidest decision by any country other than elected Donald Trump uh, as president, as he, as he did. But they've got a lot of jobs, about 4,000, 5,000 jobs, Bloomberg in London. He says yeah. he wouldn't, wouldn't have been expanding if he'd have known we are going to vote for, for Brexit. In some ways, he reflects, doesn't he, what we're hearing from a lot of companies. Goldman Sachs last Goldman week, Sachs. Uh, yeah. the guy tweeting they're going to spend a lot more time in Frankfurt. may not like Goldman Sachs, but certainly like their tax. 6,000 jobs uh, in London, and uh, they've already said they're making um, more desks available in Paris and Frankfurt. And, and Nicola, again, a difference in tone from Theresa May and David Davis, the Brexit secretary, who had, had, had a committee he was talking about... Uh, yeah. We'll have it all done and dusted, you know, again, trying to pretend it was going to be pretty easy. Well, she doesn't quite... I mean, she's more hopeful than yeah, he's, cocky. I'm always surprised by David Davis's attitude, which is so relaxed and so optimistic and just seems completely at ease when these things are not only quite serious, but, you know, he's already been told that there was a, a deadlock last week by Michel Barnier and kind of had to get his boss to come over and bail him out, effectively, with Theresa May running over there to, to you know, talk to smooth it all over at dinner. Um, yeah, he said 
who, you know, matter of weeks, really, by the end of December, he'd hoped the um, EU27 would have concluded their um, preparations and they could move on to the next stage. Very hopeful. Get to PMQs. And Theresa May was basically saying as kind of a possibility of that happening. She couched it so much that she almost didn't commit to, to anything, which is kind of a common theme with her and Brexit. So I, d- I don't know where that leaves us really from today. No, I mean, the the, the mega interesting thing in, in, in David Davis uh, at the committee this morning for me is he seemed to be suggesting that, that the vote on the deal might happen after mm-hmm. we've left the EU. Oh, it's taking back which, control, uh, sovereignty of uh, Parliament. Uh, uh, <laughs> at which point there's, there's very little point to it. No, he's so laid back I'm surprised he doesn't fall over more. Uh, well, as he's a broken-nosed former SES action man, I think he's uh, he, probably just got tired in earlier life. He, he did insist <laughs> last week that he's never killed anybody. No, he might, might I'm sure that will reassure Michel Barnier when uh, things get tough around uh, the, uh, the right. negotiating table. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the old karate chop. <laughs> might be the most effective thing you can do, David. But there we are. All right, uh, highlights of the, the week. Uh, come on, Mike, we'll go with you first. I think my highlight of the week was yesterday when uh, the, the Ministry of Justice uh, sneaked out their plan uh, for repaying the illegal tribunal fees that they've been uh, charging to workers who've been taking their, uh, their their employers to court for things like discrimination and and harassment and things like that, the, the people were charged up to twelve hundred pounds to take their employers to court. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, earlier this year decided that that was illegal and told the government to pay everyone back. It amounts to about £27 million. And they've, they've, they've very quietly announced how they're going to start paying people back. And uh, what it amounts to is that if you want your money back, you're going to have to write to them and, and ask for it. Uh, they're going to write to the first 1,000 people of about 100,000 people uh, who they owe money to. Uh, and uh, and uh, you, you're going to have to fill in a form. You're going to have to sign a declaration of truth. Um, and uh, it, it, you know, it, it really looks like they're they're doing everything they can not to not to pay this money back. If Bright House, the, the <laughs> rent to buy, rip off, predatory, over, you know, overpriced mm. you know, company that uh, you know foists TVs and fridges and washing machines at exorbitant rates on people who can't really afford them. If that can automatically pay back people after the financial conduct authorities ordered it to, I can't see why. Yeah, yeah, I, Unless I, they just don't want to. And it's probably how they just typifies how they treat workers or, I, or view workers. And I can't think of a single reason why they wouldn't have access to the information they need to pay people back. I asked the Ministry of Justice this yesterday and they didn't get back to me. If anyone from the Ministry of Justice is listening to the <laughs> podcast and would like to explain to me why, why they're not proactively uh, contacting everyone who they owe money... Uh, then, then I'd love to hear it. But I, you know, if it was uh, again, if it was a car company doing a recall um, on 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 one of their models, they are legally required to write to yeah. everyone. Or well, the Ministry of Injustice. <laughs> we will now. No, no. Nicola, have you got a, a cheerier highlight of the political week? Do you know it's if it's cheerier um, necessarily? But it's um, basically the uh, what should we say? The pickle that Donald Trump finds himself in now. He's um, he's had a terrible week, couple of weeks, he's managed to insult um, the widow of um, a serviceman um, by basically saying to her that um, he was trying, I think, to offer condolences and said, well, um, 
your husband knew what he signed up for, which is the most horrific thing you could say. So there's a, there's a huge fallout from that. Then he um, he promised um, to give was it twenty five thousand? Uh, yeah, he promised a, a check for twenty five thousand pounds to the father of a dead soldier. Uh, who was struggling for money and been divorced, and all the compo from, from from his son was going to the to to his estranged wife, um, and he never sent the check. And when when the father um, made a fuss about it, the the White House said, "Oh yeah, we've sent the check. We've sent the check." <laughs> and then a couple of days ago, a picture of the check turned up, and it had it was dated the day that the guy complained about it and then today well today and yesterday he's got um he's basically f- facing senators from his own side resigning um and they are giving kind of quite um attacking speeches um basically saying that that, that trump isn't fit to be in the white house no decency and a liar yeah, um, the lion rears yes. a sexual predator. Reckless, outrageous, and undignified behaviour. Not, <laughs> not mincing their words. I mean, it, Trump has pointed out that that both of these uh, senators we've got, um, we've got Bob Corker and we've got Jeff Flake. There is a high chance that they would not have been kind of um, selected by the party to stand again because they're at odds with. Um, with Trump mm. and I think a lot of people would would say you know why have you found, left it so late to um, find your backbone but with the um, Senate so um, carefully balanced at the moment losing those two support whether they actually vote against their party is another question but it does make it quite interesting when it comes to the kinds of things that, that Trump wants to, to get through the Senate. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for him. Tr- Trump came out swinging earlier today, mm. so, you know, noting that Jeff Flake has got a, an approval rating uh, in, in his home state of 18%, which when you think that Donald Trump has an approval rating of 37%, which is the lowest for any president at this point in his presidency ever since they started recording approval ratings. I wouldn't be shouting about that, if yeah, I'm honest. I, I suspect in Trump's kingdom of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, <laughs> and uh, he'll say 37%, Trump's 18%. Uh, uh, my uh, my highlight is, well, hasn't really happened yet, but it's about to happen, is uh, we're told there's been a huge data leak in Bermuda, rather like the Panama Papers. Lots of wealthy Britons are scrambling for lawyers and PRs to explain why money seemed to disappear at Bermuda Triangle instead of tax being paid to fund nurses, soldiers, police officers, all the other public services. They deserve everything that is hopefully, hopefully coming their way. <laughs> Let the show begin. It might have even started by the time people listen to the podcast. Bermuda Triangle is just a gift to headline writers, isn't it? Oh, you're not saying I'm uh, predictable, are you? <laughs> not yeah. at all. Yeah, I suppose your, your charge on predictable is very predictable in itself. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to uh, Eyes to the Left. You can subscribe at mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes. That's A-Y-E-S. Or at uh, Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm uh, on Twitter, Kevin underscore Maguire. I'm on Twitter as at Mikey Smith. That's M-I-K-E-Y. I'm at Nicola R. Bartlett. Thank you for listening to Eyes to the Left.